Amen. Thank you, Sean. Hey, did you guys get that? I've been doing this a long time. <laughs> all right. Well, that's good news. That's good news. Hopefully for me and hopefully for you. That's all right. Hey, good morning, East Campus. Good morning, West. You know, I feel say it's a miracle that you get all those hundreds of people in that small little lens back there in the back of the room. Big shout out to the Westies. We love you guys. And to all of our family online, we're so glad that we can be together today to continue this wonderful series, Rejoice, the Joy of a Christ-Centered Life. Joe Roberts did an excellent job kicking us off last week, and I feel indebted to him. It's like he just set this up for me. And so uh, today, we're going to focus on chapter 2, okay? We're going to focus on chapter 2, and Paul's going to say things like complete joy. He's going to talk about things like shining like stars. Does that sound fun to you? Does that sound like joy? It does to me. But we're going to start here with what I find an interesting story. Her name is Pat Moore. The year is 1980, and she's age 26. She's working as a designer in New York City. She has a very good job, but she's a bit bored. She has on her mind this whole concept of aging, the idea of what it means to be older, you see, Pat had a dream. Pat wanted to design products that would help people of all ages. Now, she had a concept, some of us know firsthand, others of us secondhand, how that when a person ages and maybe gets some problem with arthritis in their fingers, how difficult it can become to use some products that younger people just take for granted, like turning the switch on a lamp, for example. And so Pat thought, well, I don't know anything about being old. And then one day she got an idea. She thought, what if I could? What if I could have the experience at age 26 that some women age 85 have? So Pat met a makeup artist who worked with NBC. And this makeup artist assured Pat that she could transform her appearance from a 26-year-old female to a female 85. And so she did. Just imagine a wig, latex on the face, drank a special formula to make her voice raspy and so that she would even have a hoarseness. She had a special wrapping around her shoulders so that it gave her a hunched look as she wrote. She had elastic bandages around her legs, orthopedic shoes. And in just a bit of time, Pat Moore looked and sound like a woman 85. So after her transformation, Pat Moore literally spent the next few years walking the streets of America, walk, walking through and living in some of her largest cities. And she, I mean, conducted business with people. She went to socials. And so she went experiencing what it would be like for her to be age 85. And so she published this book in 1986 entitled 
disguised. And it's a true story of Pat and her experiences. As she points out very quickly in her book, people in America really do treat older people a lot differently than they do younger people. And not only that, she said, but here's the key. Our attitude toward people really matters. And that's a great lead-in for us in our study for the church in Philippi. Because the church in Philippi had an attitude problem. I know we often think of them as a joyous church. But actually, the word joy is mentioned so many times in the letter because they had become robbed of their joy. They were not a joyous church at all. At the time this letter was sent, Philippi wouldn't have been a very fun church. There were some things, well, just let me give you a few hints from the backdrop of the story. You you remember Joe sharing with us last week, Acts chapter 16, the Holy Spirit worked in the lives of Paul and Silas, and they went to Philippi, a Roman colony, and how the church was planted. I mean, they met this wealthy businesswoman down on the river by the name of Lydia. And then next, we're told, they met this young woman who made her living as fortune-telling, ripping people off. And so then she got flipped by the good news, and then they end up in jail over that, and they encounter this jailer. Now think for a moment. What did Lydia, the wealthy businesswoman, a former fortune teller and a guard at the jail have in common a zip code. That's about it. They had all lived completely separate lives. And now this newfound faith that they have in Jesus makes them dependent on each other. So Paul and Silas leave town. And then after some time, we have some other people come to town. And they talk about Jesus But what they say about Jesus is not the same thing Paul was saying about Jesus. They were preaching a different Jesus. They were preaching a different gospel. And that really robbed the church of Philippi of some joy. They came preaching that different gospel. Glenn may say something more about it. It was just this basic, guys. They were saying Jesus alone is not enough to save you. And it's Jesus plus the law, or it's Jesus plus fill in the blank. But that's heresy. And whenever you get that kind of message, oh man, it will just suck the joy right out of people. So that's part of what's going on in the church. And then chapter 4, I'm sure Hunzi will tell us about this in a couple of weeks. We have two sisters in Christ, Yodia and Sintichi. Chapter 4 says they have a disagreement with each other. We're not really sure what the disagreement's over. But you can be confident, spilt over into the church. And people started picking sides. And they stopped talking to each other and all kinds of silly stuff like that. And so that's part of the backdrop of what's going on with the attitude in the church at Philippi. And then there's opposition from their community. In fact, Paul mentioned them in chapter 1 and in verse 28 when he mentions about without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. You can see those words on the screen. Hey, in the ancient world, that word frightened also referred to a stampede of horses. And so they're literally afraid that their opponents are going to trample them. And so the message that comes from Paul is that, hey, you guys have really got to get it together. You've got to rediscover your joy. It's in Jesus. Because if you don't, you're just going to shrivel up. And so all of that produced 
what, well, we in Celebrate Recovery call hang-ups. Celebrate Recovery is a ministry, a Christ-centered 12-step ministry that has already celebrated over nine years here at North Boulevard. And so I invite you, if you don't know about it, you need to come on a Monday night at 7 o'clock and learn about this wonderful ministry. I mean, yeah, I lead it, but that's not what makes it great. Jesus owns it. That's what makes it great. And I mean, if you want to take a step, one step at a time, to learn how can I live a joyful life with all my hurts, with all my bad habits, with all my hang-ups, how can that happen? Celebrate Recovery is a pathway that can take you to the realization of that in real time. So check it out. And what we've learned is that a hang-up is this. It's a negative mental attitude that's used to cope with adversity. And I list a few here. There are lots. This is only a few. But I chose these because all of these are directly or indirectly mentioned in our letter called Philippians. Remember Yodi and Sintichi? Anger. Oh boy, when that spilled over, they were in a big old fuss. They were having a church fuss too over that. And then anxiety. In today's focus chapter, chapter 2, the Apostle Paul himself confesses, I'm struggling with anxiety over a Philippian brother named Epaphroditus. And so he had struggled with anxiety and fear. We talked about that, the fear of being trampled. Oh, and that message that those people brought in that wasn't true about Jesus. Hey, whenever we get a message about Jesus that's not the truth, you can mark this down. Get ready for guilt, insecurity, perfectionism, shame, and you won't just get one of them, you get the whole package. And the truth is, guys, none of us are immune. Any one of us can take a moment. You know, I really think that we at North Boulevard are a joyous church. I mean, I'm telling you, for 10 years now, I've never worked harder and had more fun doing it. I'm just loving it. This is my family. I love my family. I tell Brother Charlie Pig, I said, right over there now, I said, hey, you know what? I found a home. I found a home. North Boulevard's my home. This is my family. I love my family. But, you know, we even tell everyone in starting point when you come in, if you're new today, hey, guys, if you love a bunch of third graders trying to tell second graders what to do, you're going to love us. <laughs> We're glad you're here. We, we, we love you. We, we want to walk with you. But, man, there's this all that they shame, and, and not any one of us is immune. We can pick a moment to revert back to one of these, maybe call it a slip. We can go into a relapse and start living our lives by one of these attitudes again. You might have heard about the guy who was sitting at the breakfast table on a Sunday morning. And his wife said to him, hey, you better hurry up and get ready for church. You're going to be late. And he said, I'm not going today. She said, what do you mean you're not going today? You give me one good reason why you're not going to church today. He said, oh, I'll do better than that. I'll give you two. He said, number one, I don't like any of the people up at that church. And number two, don't any of the people up at that church like me. So you give me one good reason why I should go. She said, oh, I'll do better than that. I'll give you two. Number one, you know that God wants you to go. And number two, you're the preacher. <laughs> so I'm here to tell you guys, no one's immune. No one's immune from this kind of thing. And the answer in Paul's sermon over and over again in this letter is found in the first chapter when he says, you stand firm in one spirit. 
I mean, I like to back up. I'll tell you, you can look in your Bible if you got it open. I don't have it on the screen. But he says, whatever happens. You ever feel like that? Whatever happens. Sometimes we don't know what's going to happen, do we? Sometimes we think we do, and then it didn't turn out the way we wanted it to. And we get all sullen about that if we want. But he said, whatever happens, okay, this is what we have power over. Conduct yourselves in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. We can do that. Then whether I come and see you, I don't know. They might not let me come. I not make it through this jail sentence I got over here in Rome. I might not come. Or if I just hear about you in my absence, then I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And so he just marches right on in deeper with his sermon. In chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, So, guys, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion... Now, I just got to stop there and tell you, in preparing this sermon, as I was reading this text in English Bibles, I found some translations were going through asking questions all the way through, and others were going through and making statements. And I'm like, okay, what is that? Now, this is not a Greek lesson. If it was, I saw Dr. Strickland either. We get Michael up here and let him do that, okay? But I'm telling you, I went through there and looked through the Greek text, and I'm like, there's no question marks. So he's making statements. So I'm going to be bold enough to offer you an alternative reading. I think there's an alternative reading that helps this text, and I think this is it. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from your relationship with Jesus, and you do, right? Can you say that with me? And you do. If you have any comfort from his love, and you do. Westy, shout it. If you have any fellowship with the Spirit, and you do. If any tenderness and compassion... And you do. Then he's going to say, make my joy complete. Listen to his sermon. He says, guys, you know that you have encouragement from your relationship with Jesus. You know that you, know that you have comfort from his love. He loves you. He gave his life for you. You know that. You get comfort from that. You have fellowship with God the Spirit. Not some mere encounter. You have a deep full, rich relationship with God the Spirit, and you have tenderness, and you have compassion. So, by about this time, I can envision when the letter was first read to the church at Philippi, they're doing the head nod thing about now. Yep, he's right. You know it. <laughs> what he's saying is the truth. I mean, he's got us, guys. He's reminding us of everything that's really important. And that's what they want to do. They're going to go to what is important, what's most important. You know, that's one of the things that I love about our church family. Oh, I know about my biological family. You could get us. We could disagree about a number of things. But there's something that we as a church family agree on. There's some things we really agree on. You remember our core values? You know, as a church, we value Jesus of Nazareth as the Son of God. We're going to talk more about him in a moment. We value the Bible as the Word of God. We value people, and we think any one of those three is worth a family farm. And you know, we really believe in our missional strategies. We believe in relational discipling. That means trying to disciple people the way Jesus discipled people. And we believe in church planning. I'm telling you, 
If we only know the joy, if you'd ever been a part of a church that did not experience that joy, oh, how exciting it is to be a part of a church where God has just pulled us up and said, let me give you a front row seat and show you what I'm about to do. Although that didn't last for me very long when I got on staff because just about the time I hit the seat, David said, get up, we got to (laughs) go. So it's such a joy to be here. And we have these joys, guys. We receive encouragement from our relationship with Jesus. We're comforted by his love. We have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. We have tenderness. We have compassion. Then Paul says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Now, again, not a Greek lesson, but we know. Paul didn't really have the options of underlining things when he was writing. He didn't have exclamation points to use. So when he wanted to emphasize something, he did it through repetition, right? That was the way of the day. And so when he says being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, he's just repeating himself all over again. And it's the same message from chapter 1 and verse 27. Stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. And if you do this, joy is yours. And not only that, you make my joy complete, Paul said. So make my joy complete and do that. Uh, He's still going to warn us. Here we go, unpacking text. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Those are joy robbers, real joy robbers. Stay away from that. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And that's basically his sermon. Boy, I'm so glad he gave me a sermon to bring to you. I was stressing over having to get one of my own. He says it. And then he does what every preacher does. He gives us an illustration. He's going to tell us an illustration. And it starts in verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. That gets my attention. I'm really thankful he said that my attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus because there have been some moments my attitude was not the same as Christ Jesus. So can we agree on this? The attitude of Jesus is perfect. That Jesus' attitude's way up here. Paul has really raised the bar, right? He has raised the bar. Jesus' attitude is perfect. But as followers of Jesus, we're always required to be honest. Appropriately transparent, but always honest. And my attitude's somewhere down here. And through this illustration, what Paul does is he says, you know, Tony, all the followers of Jesus, you need to devote yourselves to getting your attitude more in line with that of Jesus. Get it more in line with him. That's what I want you to do. So, okay, Paul, I'm convinced. So what is this attitude? And he introduces us here, shares with us what some people call the Messiah Psalm. Okay. It's a song. It's a song. I can imagine the early church using these words to praise God in many ways. I bet they read them. I bet they sang them. And so, who is this Jesus again? Who being in very nature God. Well, let's just stop and unpack some of this, okay? In CR, we call this the pick and shovel work, all right? You know, do a little pick and shovel together this morning. Who being in very nature God. Do we hear that? Jesus is fully God. 
as much as God the Father or God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus transcends the universe in which he created. This Jesus, very nature God, he's still in yesterday. He's in today and already in tomorrow because time has no limit on him. And so this Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Oh, he wasn't out for his own self. He wasn't out for his own advantage. But rather, he made himself nothing. Literally, he just emptied himself. He emptied himself. He says, how did he do that? By taking the very nature of a servant. See the contrast? Nature of God. Nature of a servant that he's talking about. How? By being made in human likeness. Are you kidding me? The creator became part of his own creation. He did. We call that the incarnation. He's fully God and fully human all at the same time. Now, I just confess, my pea brain struggles with that just a bit. But it's true. That's what he's done. And Paul furthermore says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Now, you might remember Jesus taught a lesson once and he said, you know, he who humbles himself will be exalted, but he who exalts himself will be humbled. Jesus humbled himself. How? By becoming obedient to death. And he shouts it, even death on a cross. And we think, wow, you know, I've heard that before. So that excites me. If you had been in Philippi, a Roman colony, that would have made the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. Because in a Roman colony, if you were found guilty of a crime, and you're a Roman citizen, and the sentence is capital punishment, you know how they're going to get rid of you, right? They're going to behead you. That's what you do to Roman citizens. That's what you do to those people. But if you're not a Roman citizen, and you're a free person, then you get the firing squad. Now, not with the shells and the gunpowder stuff. Arrows back then, okay? You got to do the arrow thing. But if you're not a Roman citizen, and you're not a free person, but you are a slave, you're someone in Philippi considered to be the lowest of the low. In fact, their view of you would be, you're just a waste of oxygen anyway. What are we going to do with you? We'll crucify you. Oh, the Phoenicians created it, but the Romans perfected it. And so he said, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the attitude of Jesus. And he says, Tony, you need to get your attitude more in line with the Jesus attitude. And it's with the promise because God does exactly what Jesus had promised before. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, hear him, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did you hear it? All the heavenly realm, all the Hadean world, everything that exists or ever would it, everything's going down on a knee before King Jesus and saying, you are Lord. 
the evil one and all the evil and all the evil realm in which he reigns is all going down before the king and saying, you are Lord. Wow. We got some king, folks. Jesus, complete joy, Paul says, comes from knowing him. Oh, and he, he's, he's got more to say about that in the letter. But we got to save something for Glenn and David, right? But in chapter 3 and verse 10, he will say, I want to know Christ. And we should understand when he says, I want to know Jesus, he's not talking about learning mere facts or data about Jesus. He's talking about a relationship with Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I really want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. You know what? I want to know his attitude. I want to know this Jesus. I want to experience Jesus. And we come to know Jesus through the gospel. But Paul says, but you're not finished even then. Because, you know, I was baptized into Jesus March 19th, 1981. And sometimes I think, oh, God, why didn't you just go ahead when I came up out of the baptistry and just take me right on into paradise there? But I wouldn't have known any of you guys if that had happened. And you're really a great bunch of folks. So what happens? He says, look, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, continue. That's a big word in our text. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In love, you hear his plea. He's just saying this, guys. You need to continue relentlessly pursuing Jesus. Knowing Jesus, knowing his attitude, taking on his character, taking on his nature, taking on his person. He said, go at it with all your might. And I think, you know, I just don't really know that Tony has got the power to get that done. And then these wonderful words come true in the text. Because guess what? You know what? I don't. <laughs> and neither do you. And neither does anyone else. Because the power doesn't come from us. The power comes from God. Note verse 13. For it is God who works in you. That term literally energizes. God energizes us to his will. To act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Isn't that really good news? To know that me, with all my brokenness, with all my hurts, with all my hang-ups, with all my bad habits, that Jesus, God Almighty, is going to energize me to do His will? Whew, man, that is really good news. So I've got to watch out. Because remember, I can slip. I can relapse. So Paul comes back with a warning. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. I'm telling you, those are real joy sappers. It'll shrivel you right up. So don't do that. So that you may become blameless and pure. Does this sound like you want to be? Blameless and pure children of God. Without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Let's face it, guys. Our world's broken. Right? It's broken. And this world needs some light. He says, when you do this, you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Now, you guys who are online, use your imagination with me for just a moment. In this large room in which East Campus is gathered right now, there are a number of recessed lights in the ceiling. 
And we can easily see dark spots in between those lights. And I think about the darkness of the world when I see the dark spots. But when I see the lights, I think about the blameless, pure children of God. Illuminated by the power of God Almighty Himself. As we stand out holding firmly to the word of life. The word who is Jesus Jesus is our complete joy. So, I mentioned Pat Moore. In 1980, Pat Moore set out on a relentless pursuit to have the experience at the age of 26 what it's like to be age 85. And Holy Spirit challenges you and I through the letter we know as Philippians. For us to continue our relentless pursuit of knowing Jesus. Know his attitude. Continue going at it with all your might. So I asked myself in putting this sermon together. I got finished doing some work. and uh, You know really. Guys what does this look like in real time? What does that look like? Well, it could look a lot of different ways, I guess, but let me suggest that it might look like this. An elderly grandpa one day was taking a walk through the woods, and he had his grandson with him. They walked a ways. Grandpa looked down at him and said, Do you know where we are? Grandson looked back up and he said, No, Grandpa, I don't know where we are. He smiled. They walked on ways. Then he looked down and he said, Son, do you think we're far from home? Well, I, I don't know. I reckon, Grandpa, but I don't know where we are. Grandpa looked down with kind of a smile and he said, Well, son, if you don't know where you are, would you consider yourself lost? And he looked up and said, Oh no, Grandpa. I'm not lost. I'm with you. <clears throat> That's the walk that the Philippian letter calls us to pursue with Jesus. And you know, whatever happens, no matter what, no matter where, the only thing that matters is who we're walking beside. And we, I think, all might feel a need to up our game in walking with Jesus, right? Some of us might feel it a little more than others. And I just want to say today, if you're suffering from a hurt, a bad habit, or a hang-up, Celebrate recovery. It's been an absent thing in your life for too long. You should come on Monday night here in the fellowship hall. We love you. We'll introduce you to a pathway that God and His power will get you there. But you don't have to wait until then. Right outside the exit doors on the lower floor here at East Campus is a prayer room. There are people waiting right now for you if you'd like to go and pray. At West Campus Westies, I know the prayer table is back in the corner and I'll if I was a betting man, I'd say Plez is back there waiting for someone to pray with.
And all of you who are part of our online family, you'll see it on the screen. You can, you can check there. You can click prayer for men, prayer for women. Pray. Don't wait. It is time to continue the relentless pursuit of knowing Jesus. Let's do it as we sing.